Hey, Grown Up Friends, a big thank you to so many of you that have already bought my new book, Launching Financial Grownups, Live Your Richest Life by Helping Your Almost Adult Kids Become Everyday Money Smart. This book was not easy to write because I had to get honest with myself about what was working with my teen and young adult kids and what was not working. And I also had to be prepared to share it with all of you. So first of all, thank you for your support and your wonderful responses to it. There's definitely some things in there that you may not have been expecting to hear. By the way, I got a lot of help from my money expert friends and also financial therapists and parenting experts. I am really happy with how launching Financial Grownups came out, even though it really was hard to be like I said, that honest, and um, it was a lot of work, but I really love doing it, and I'm really happy with how it came out. On that note, if you have not already, please pick up a copy of Launching Financial Grownups today. After you do, please share it on social media. Please leave a review on Amazon. Those reviews are super important because the algorithm picks up on them, and that can make the book a lot more visible to more people. So I truly appreciate it, and I really also appreciate all of your support. You're listening to Money Tips for Financial Grownups with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of Launching Financial Grownups, because you know what? Grownup life is really hard, but together we got this. Hey, grownups. I hope everyone is enjoying their summer. I'm taking some time off and I hope you guys are too. I am super excited about the interview that we have on tap to share with everyone this week because it is with one of my favorite people, Lacey Langford, and it is actually on her podcast, The Military Money Show. In our interview, we share ways to set teens up for financial success as adults. And of course, we talk about my new book, Launching Financial Grownups. Lacey and I cover everything from common mistakes and bad habits to avoid to creating a healthy family ecosystem and protecting your own retirement. Lacey is someone I instantly bonded with when I met her several years ago. She has that natural gift for making everyone around her feel like it's going to be okay. That resilience and grounded approach probably comes from her childhood as, and this is her words, guys, as an army brat, she served in the U.S. Air Force and she married her Air Force sweetheart, and they now have two little army brats of their own. And by the way, again, her words, not mine. In addition to the podcast, Lacey runs a conference called Mill Money Con and is an accredited financial counselor with over 15 years of financial planning, counseling, and coaching experience. You should definitely follow her on social media. We will leave links to that in the show notes. Meanwhile, I hope you enjoy my interview with Lacey. Hey, Bobby, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being here. I am so excited to join you. Thank you for having me. No, I'm glad you're here. I always have so much fun chatting with you. So I'm really going to try to keep this reined in so we can stay on time, on point. Absolutely. I have a tough time too. The two of us can, we know, we could just chatter for hours. So yes. we're going we're gonna to be very focused. Yes, we are. We are. Well, I want to start off with asking, what are some of the biggest mistakes that parents make in preparing or not preparing their soon-to-be adults financially for life? out of the nest. Love that question, Lacey. I think, and by the way, to be clear, this book, my book, Launching Financial Grownups, came from my own mistakes 
I have made many mistakes and I will continue to make mistakes. And that is what parenting is about. It's about recovering from mistakes. I think the biggest mistake so many of us parents make, and clearly I have made this, is assuming that your children understand something, specifically financial in this case, because they told you they understand it. Yeah. So it's just like they said they did their homework. It's exactly like that, except usually when they say they did their homework and they didn't, they know they didn't. What's really tricky is that it's a little bit more nuanced when it comes to financial concepts. They may truly believe, as an example, that they have set up their 401k correctly in their first job. So they are being honest in that they believe it has been set up correctly. That doesn't mean it has. One thing I talk about in the book is our oldest child got a great job at a consulting firm out of college. And she knew, even though she had other goals, other long-term goals, she knew that no matter what, she had to make sure she had her 401k set up properly to make sure she got at the very least the company match. But when I went in, she verbally told me it was all set, but by going out with my friends, I said, well, let me just see what's going on. Can I please actually see your HR page and actually go into where the 401k is and actually make sure just to set my mind at ease. And there was some pushback that said, we got to that page and there were a few things. Number one, she had not invested the money. She had allocated a certain amount to come out of her paycheck correctly to get the full match. She had not chosen how to invest it. So most people know this, but there's a list of, you know, let's say 10 mutual funds you can invest in and you have to, you don't have to choose only one. You can do it in an allocation setup, but she hadn't chosen that. And she also, one thing that she didn't know to even know certainly was that many 401ks, including hers, have a button you can check where you can have them increase your contribution at regular intervals. So you might say, okay, I'm putting in 4% to start because that's what my company will match. But I'm going to play a game with myself and I'm going to set it up so that every time without, you know, unless I do something to stop it every year, they will increase my contributions by 1% until I've maxed out. She didn't even know to set that up. So I saw that and that you can set that up for them as well or with them. And so even the most well-intentioned and knowledgeable child may miss things. In fact, we as adults miss things all the time. It's always good to have somebody watching your back and checking that you've done what you think you've done when it comes to financial planning. It should not be a solo activity for any of us. So it's important to get in there and make sure that they are fully understanding and fully executing whatever it is that reflects their goals. What are some things that they should be prepared for before they leave the nest? You know, the things that you can do at home, because I would think that there has to be this balance of being all in their business, micromanaging it, because that's where I lean towards. I would just like to micromanage all their fun, all of their, everything that they're doing, but I don't. But how do you balance that preparing them with what they need before they leave? So maybe that you're not having to get so involved when they are gone it's important that they learn to solve their own problems. Now there's a balance. As you said, you want them to know that they can always come to you, but when they come to you, let them solve it first. So here's a real world example. My number two kid was in college and he needed to fund his final film. He was studying film and TV, every parent's dream at NYU. <laughs> and he needed to, NYU gave them, gave the kids some money for their final projects, but the film that he wanted to make would cost significantly more than that. And he came to us and said, how am I going to fund this film? And we said, right. How are you going to fund this film? Repeat <laughs> right? the question. <laughs> right. 
exactly. Ask them for ideas. And so, and it's okay to brainstorm with them. Clearly it would have been very nice if we had just written a check and it was a number that, you know, it wasn't so comfortable for us, but like, look, we could have written a check, but we sort of looked at each other and my husband and I are pretty in sync on our financial beliefs at this point. We've been married about 15 years and we were able to kind of signal to each other, like, we know how this is going to play out. And we sort of said, how are you going to raise the money? And then we started brainstorming with him about different ways that he could raise the money. And he did end up going on kind of like a GoFundMe, but it's called Indiegogo. And by the way, he's still trying to raise a little bit more. If anyone wants to go to Indiegogo and look up Meatball (laughs) Town, he's in uh, post-production right now, but he's set it up. He had to make a little video promoting the film. He got two other people to help him as co-producers. We did make a contribution to that fund. And we did suggest to him, maybe you should hit up other relatives. Hey, what about people that you've done internships for? They might want to support you. Maybe people you've worked for part-time while you're in school, maybe they would like to support you. And by the way, this is a great way to keep in touch with people and let them know what you're up to. Let them know that you're almost about to graduate and that you're making this film. And that's a way to start a new conversation. So you can hopefully find a job when you graduate or some projects to work on. So We were not solving his problem, but we were helping him work through solving the problem in a way that the next time he will be able to hopefully do it on his own. But we also are clear that we're there as a backstop. You don't want a kid, for example, to hide a problem. Let's say they get credit card debt. There's a balance. No, you shouldn't go in and just give them a check because you know what's going to happen then, right? Right. But also you don't want them to hide it from you because they think you'll be disappointed in them. So it's so important to let kids know that they can come to you and you will help them find solutions. That leads me to the next question is, what are your thoughts on letting them fail? Like you're saying, there's some things that maybe you don't want to let them fail at. And maybe these are things that they could start at home where the failing wouldn't hurt so bad. You know, if like, okay, well, you spent your birthday money on a stupid thing that broke or, you know, that wasn't, you know, the beach trip that you saved up for and went with people you didn't like, you know, that turned out miserable (laughs) was a waste of money or whatever it is. What are some things that you think about balancing that, them having hard lessons versus being there to solve it for them? Great question. The important thing is to help them understand the risks involved when they're making a decision, but then let them make the decision themselves understanding the risks. So an example recently might be the cryptocurrency situation where I think a lot of young emerging adults very confidently put money into crypto. Well, look, who knows what happened on an individual situation? They might've bought it at a time and sold it at a time that they did fine. But a lot of people have been hit pretty hard by crypto as we record this in the summer of 2022. And so if that happened to them, well, that's unfortunate, but they are probably pretty young still, and they will recover. What's important though, is if they fail, be supportive, not judgmental. You shouldn't say, oh, you know, I told you not to do that. That was so dumb. Don't do that. Because again, they might then in the future, hide their mistakes from you. And you don't want that. You want to keep that communication open. You want to know first and foremost, your family, you love them. You're going to be there to support them. And if there is something serious, you're going to do what you need to do to get them out of it. Let's be real. Yeah. I think every parent knows in their gut when they need to step in. Yeah, that's a very good point. And you know your child too. You so some child. children, you may not have to step in at this point, but other kids, you're going to have to get involved. Exactly. And it can be very different among siblings. And that can be very challenging to manage the different personalities and different needs of different children. But that is something that hopefully by the time they are you know, at the age range that my book really focuses on, which is 16 to 26, you have a good sense of 
the kind of help and the way you can help them the most. And sometimes it is really hard to step away because it is easy to be a concierge parent. And that's something I talk about in the book a lot is, you know, concierge parents, sort of an extension of a helicopter parent. As your children get older, they may not need you to be a helicopter parent, but you may be experiencing concierge parenting, which is when they reach out to you often in a panic at all hours, because we know we can be texted or contacted at any time, which was not something we had when we were growing up. And many problems of an older child can be solved with a check. Let's face it, right? And it's really important to remember in those situations that the best thing, not only for us, but also for our child is to protect our own long-term financial goals above those of the child. And that sounds so harsh, but the last thing you want to do is have to ask your child for help. And the even worse thing is to have to ask your child for help in your later years. And they're not independent and financially stable enough to give you that help. So it is really about a family ecosystem and making sure they're okay. So you can be okay. I think this is a really good point. And it's hard because they're your kids. And like you said, it's easy for some people, I know some people, their financial situation might be difficult, but to just write the check and be like, you know what, here, problem solved. I don't have to, we don't have to talk about it anymore. We don't have to dig deep into this. But I think that that becomes like a bad habit to get into over time. It's also very financially precarious to do that. And what's interesting, Lacey, is in the research for the book, I found that often parents with the lower financial resources were more likely, and I didn't do any, I don't have any statistics. This is just anecdotal. So I want to be clear that I don't have stats to back this up, but my general feeling was that parents who have really struggled financially don't want their children to struggle financially. So they might, for example, insist their kids don't get loans, but they're getting loans for college. And that parent loans are the real, to me, the real screaming crisis in the educational debt crisis. Because student loans, we don't know if they'll be forgiven. We know that there's controls put in place of how much you can borrow, at what rates, and the way that it can be collected and so on. Parent loans, you know, it's really can be very expensive and can really, you know, have parents nearing retirement or even in retirement paying for their child's education. And sometimes they don't even let the child know that that is happening because they don't want the child to worry. They don't want the child to feel insecure. But we as parents have such a natural instinct to give everything to our children, not understanding that if our retirement is in crisis, our children are the ones that are going to come and bail us out. And we don't want that. So it's so important to communicate to your kids what you can help them with and what you can't because most, not most often, because again, I didn't do statistics, but there are many times when I have heard stories of kids that did not know the amount of debt their parents had taken on to fund their children's education. And had they known they would have acted differently. Maybe they wouldn't have spent the same way in college. Maybe they would have taken on a job while in college. And the parents are saying, well, I don't want my kid to have to work. I want their whole job to be studying and enjoying college, which is so wonderful and altruistic and giving, but the children might've made different decisions if they had known the full picture of their parents' finances. And and again, you don't have to disclose everything, but your children should have a, a sense of it. When should you start preparing your children? You mentioned this book's shooting starting at 16. Is that when you should start having these conversations or is it way before then? It is way before then. The reason this book starts at age 16 is because there are already so many books out there that cover the younger years. One of my favorite books is by Ron Lieber. It's called The Opposite of Spoiled. And he 
was very generously an expert in this book. So I felt that, and there are also, by the way, books that talk about adulting that don't focus on finances. Another wonderful expert is Julie Lithgott-Hames, who wrote How to Raise an Adult. It just didn't really focus on finances. So I felt there was this space where when I was making so many mistakes and really struggling with my teenage kids on how to get them to really focus on finances and understand stuff, there wasn't a book out there. So that's why this book focuses on those ages, not because you shouldn't start till you're 16. You should start as soon as you can. Whenever the child is going to be receptive to financial advice or financial information at an age-appropriate way, that's the time. If it's a book in kindergarten and they're into it, go for it. Absolutely. There's nothing bad about teaching them early, as long as it's something where it's going to be a positive experience. You don't want to stress little kids out about money, of course. Yeah. I also think money is like talking to your kids about sex. You're not going to just go to like real high level stuff. You're going to start out with the basics based on their age and the terminology that you'll be using and what they can understand and, and what they need to know. You know, you don't want to just give them the full shebang when, you know, like talk about, you know, retirement savings when you're just trying to teach them about budgeting or saving your money or something like that when they're like seven. Exactly. And it's always good. You talk about retirement, you frame it in a way that makes sense to them. They're not really talking about retirement, but if you talk about the fact that if they open their 401k and abide by whatever, you know, the firm is doing, if there's anything that they need to be doing, if they take it out of their paycheck and they get the match, you can explain to them that by saving there, instead of making 4%, if you teach them about vesting, that you have to stay in the company for this amount of time, depending on how it's set up, but you can get 8% instead of 4%. So it's free money. And that's why you have to save there. That will make sense to them versus that you're going to need money in 60 years. I love that you're having these conversations early instead of when they actually have the job and have all these other things to worry about, like doing the job and being nervous with their first job. It's like, no, remember we talked about like five years ago when you got your first job, like they have a retirement plan. So it's not like you gave them the minutia of it, but now they have a foundation. So then you're just adding on to that foundation instead of just piling on when they already got a lot of stuff going on. And it also, one thing that I really believe in is, first of all, I think that while a lot of people have negative things to say about the school system and how much education they're getting, depending on where you are, a lot of kids can get personal finance education in school. But this is different because, first of all, parents are stakeholders at a whole other level than a teacher that's going to see them for between one and four years of a school, whatever it is. But not only are parents, you know, the real stakeholders in this besides the child themselves, but parents can teach them and I need to know basis in a positive way in that the teacher in a school in an academic setting, it's not real. You're memorizing, you're learning, but you're not doing. So one thing I learned from Julie Lithcott-Hames, who, as I said, it was wonderful in the book. And she wrote not only how to raise an adult, but also how to be an adult. So everyone should also get those books. But she talks about, you know, showing your kid once, then looking, and I'm not going to get this exact, so read her book too. But it's basically, you sit with your kid and you let them see you do something once and then you do it with them and then you watch them doing it alone and then they do it alone. Like an example would be kid number two, when he moved off campus at college with two roommates, it was important to me that he have renter's insurance. And it would have been much easier for me to be a concierge parent and just say, oh, Bradley, I have renter's insurance. I signed it up for you. You're all set, right? No. What I did was I had him research, you know, companies and I helped him do that. Also, it's really good to help them. It's okay. And guide them. And we picked a company and then we went through it together. And I had him in this case, I sat with him, but well, at first I showed him kind of how to work it. And then I had him do on his laptop with his debit card 
go through how he was going to buy this renter's insurance and how to change the different parts of it to fit his needs. And we were able to get the cost down significantly because for example, one component he did not need was, you know, we looked at how the, how it was calculated. He did not need a benefit that if something happened to his apartment, they would pay for him to stay in a hotel for up to two weeks. Well, he went to school in New York city where we live. So if something happened to his apartment, he was going to his childhood bedroom. He didn't need to go to a hotel. So we just knocked that down to zero and it saved quite a bit of money. Going through that with him was really valuable because now he's pressing the keys on his keyboard. He put it on his debit card. We did choose to reimburse him full disclosure, but it went through. He had to pay it first. And then the way that we managed his money when he was in school was he paid for everything. And then if he felt something was reimbursable, like food or renter's insurance, he could submit much like he would to an employer his expenses and expense report once a month, we would go through it and we would we would approve the expenses we felt should be reimbursed. We might not approve going to a concert. Maybe that comes out of his earned money. So this was all an exercise. This mimics what would happen with an employer. I love that. What do you say for kids that have zero interest in learning about money or paying attention? I think it's kind of like brushing your teeth. Like, I know you don't want to do it right now, but it's for the greater good. Like, how do you handle teens like that? To some degree, you have to wait it out because something will happen where they need to, like they want to go to a concert and they don't have the money. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So in that sense, it sounds very simple, but like there will be things that are discretionary in their life. You're not going to starve them. You're not going to not pay for their food, but you can say, well, you know, you want to go on a date and you have no money. So what are you going to do? Maybe you need to get a job. Maybe you need to talk to me about getting paid for, you know, whatever chores, if you believe in that as a parent or whatever it is. And if you are giving your child money, well, then you do get a say in how it is used, in my opinion, unless you know, you can say, I'm going to give you allowance of X dollars and it's for you to choose how to use it. But if you have a child that's quote not interested, you can get them interested very quickly because at some point they're going to want to buy a game on Xbox, whatever it may be, wherever they are in life. So I would just wait for the moment. That's a really good point. Some things like if you're brushing the teeth, I'm always like, this has medical and financial ramifications if you don't brush your teeth. Like I get it. You don't want to do it, but it's in the category of things you have to learn how to do well, because if we have to replace your teeth, that's super expensive. And I have a say in that, whether you get your teeth replaced or not. (laughs) So I can relate way too much for that. My son forgot his retainer when he went to camp this summer. Mm. And I don't know that he cares that much. So, you know, like you're rushing to to mail it to them. And this is a younger kid, but like, still, it's really hard as a parent. And as I said, like, I wrote this book for me because these are really hard things. And I don't want to minimize how challenging these things are as a parent. It is really hard. And there's a lot of ups and downs. And as much as I've had some successes, I also have many fails. Trust me. Well, this is great about this book is it's really giving you the tools to start having those conversations and taking action because it's beyond a conversation. And it really is beneficial to you to set them up for success because it's going to be less problems you have to solve, less financial ramifications and peace of mind, knowing that you've created a fully functioning adult. I want to give people one more incentive. So on my podcast, the podcast that went out, I want to say on July 19th of 2022, you can hear uh, her first ever podcast interview with our oldest child, Ashley. And what you will see is a kid who's now 25 and a half, almost 26, turning 26 soon. 
She now owns her own apartment. We went through many behind the scenes struggles with her. Trust me. She was challenging. That said, now that she's sort of through the woods and she has a very good job now, she owns her apartment, she can pay her mortgage, she can pay for vacations and so on. She's done well in her career. She is teaching us things. That's awesome. It's pretty amazing. She is teaching me some great personal finance tips, ways that I can save money, be better with my finances. And most importantly, this is my favorite thing. She's really teaching her friends and her peer group because they really look up to her now because she bought an apartment at 24 with her own money. We do, we're always very open that she was able to live rent-free with us after college and she did not have college debt. That said, to save a six-figure sum by age 24, she started when she was 13. She really wanted to always be a property owner. It was a long-term goal. People ask her all the time, how did you do it? And she will tell them. And so on this episode, by the way, you should check out on Money Tips for Financial Grownups. Ashley does go through how she did it. And it was sort of heartbreaking because she also said things that I kind of knew, but didn't really realize. And she was very specific about, you know, I couldn't go to this and I couldn't go to this. And I chose not to go to this concert and I chose not to do this. And there were times when I almost didn't meet my friend for coffee because I just knew that I had to meet my numbers for the month because she had monthly spreadsheets with how much money she needed to save per month to reach this goal because she'd wanted to do it in two years of living at home. And it's a little bit, you know, it kind of was painful because I was like, oh, I didn't want her to miss that stuff. But she made those choices. That was her goal. Kid number two doesn't want to own an apartment. He's not doing that. I mean, he's not a big spender, not at all, but it's a totally different kid. But I remember I did things that undermined her. I remember saying to her, well, you know, wouldn't it be nice? You should get a Hamptons share with your kids, which is me. I did when I was her age, I got a Hamptons share for a few thousand bucks for the summer. We all had, we shared a house out in the Hamptons, which is a resort area in the New York area. And she was like, how dare you? Like we had all fight. She's like, you, you support my goal. This is, this is like undermining me. Why would you tell me to do that? Why would you encourage that? I'm saving my money. And so, you know, we as parents have to really watch what we do. It's kind of like when someone's on a diet and you offer them ice cream, you know, be cognizant. If your kid has their goals, really be supportive. And you can slip into things that are well-meaning on the surface, but might undermine those goals. So be aware of your own behavior as well. It's not just about them. It's about you. I love that. I feel like there's a lot of lessons you can learn from the book. So people are definitely going to have to check that out. I want to ask you a couple of quick random questions. I ask everybody, first off, what is one resource or tool that you use that makes your life easier? Scheduling tools. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything has to be scheduled. And one thing that I do is I work in blocks. So I block off time. So I will do, you know, every Friday I have a block that's writing block. I'm always writing. I try to schedule all of my things that involve other people on certain days so that I have days where I can be not at my desk, where I can be mobile, whatever it may be. And I think it really creates a lot of order for me. I also love focus apps. So writing my book, I use something called cave day. And I also recently discovered something called centered. So I really recommend if you have focused work to do, and even just the focus tool on your computer right now, I turned on focus so that we don't get interrupted while recording this interview. Very valuable. So it's important to carve out that time. Oh, I love those. I'll be sure to put links to those in the show notes for everybody. What is your favorite book right now or your favorite book of all time? I'm sure as an author, you have a huge list, but maybe one or two. (laughs) I have so many favorite books. Oh, you're putting me on the spot with this one. You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say my favorite book is always the fiction book that I am reading right now. I have a book club and we read one fiction book every month. And I think that it's really important to clear your head. So instead of saying one favorite book, I'm going to say my favorite thing is that I'm always reading 
a fiction book in addition to books? Because I get bogged down in books that are for education, nonfiction that are financial planning books that are, or books that are from friends that have written. And I love reading those and I love supporting those friends. But I also think it's really important for our minds that we read high quality fiction books. So the book I'm reading right now is called The Latecomer. It's by Jean Hanth Correlates. And that's my favorite book of the month. And every month I have a new favorite book. That's really great. I know what you're <laughs> saying though, because if you're constantly in nonfiction and I'm sure the same thing, like podcasts, you get lots of books and things like that. So it's a good way to relax your mind and not feel like you have to do something. You can just enjoy it. Yeah. If anyone wants suggestions for fiction books that I've read recently that I really love, like I just read The Christie Affair was also a really good one. My next book I actually have picked out is actually going to be The Candy House by Jennifer Egan. So just DM me on whatever or be in touch on any social platform. And I'm always happy to give people recommendations for fiction books because I just think it's so important for our minds to be reading things that are just for fun, but also high quality books. And I also purchase the books because I think it's really important to support authors. I think publishing is a really hard business. So I encourage everyone. These are both books that I paid money for. If you can't support them through the library, ask the library to buy a copy, but please purchase books. There's my plug for authors. Yes, that was really nice of you. Well, now it is time for my favorite part of the podcast, which is game time. And today, in honor of your visit, we're going to play one line riddle. So I'm going to give you three riddles and you have to guess the answer. If you get two out of three correct, you get bragging rights that you won game time on the military money show, which is such Uh a big deal. Oh, I feel the pressure. I'm oh my sure, goodness. I'm sure you're going to add that to your resume. I'm terrible. I'm terrible at riddles. Oh my goodness. Okay. I'm going to get all three wrong, but okay. Well, first one, the butcher is five feet, 10 inches tall and wear size 10 shoes. What does he weigh? How would you know? I don't know. Meat. Number one fail. <laughs> he weighs meat. Oh, he he's weighs the butcher. Meat. Oh, duh, he's the butcher. I know. That's what I was oh, like. I wouldn't right. have What's okay, the next I'm- one I'm going to get wrong, Miss Lacey? It is easy to waste. Some people say short but in the end, unstoppable. What is it? It's easy to waste. Some people say Time. it's short. Yes, Time. that's I it. One. I wouldn't Yay, have gotten it's not a shutout. It's a, not a shutout. I'm just, I feel like a winner already because it's not a shutout. <laughs> so if I got one right, I would feel like a winner. Okay, number three. What belongs to you, but others use it more than you do? My time again? It's your name. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay. So, wah, wah. wait, wait. Let me give you one more bonus to see if you can get this one. Okay. Okay. What can you catch but not throw? A cold. That's right. Oh my god, I got one. Yes. Yay! You got it. You All got right. it. So you you've got bragging rights that you won game time on the military. Right. Yes, that was really impressive. <laughs> I'm, they're so hard. It's not impressive because it's a, it's fifty percent, which is a failing grade, Lacey. <laughs> I think you did great. Well, I appreciate you playing the game and being on the show. Can you tell everybody listening where they can learn more about you and what you're up to? You can learn more about me on my website, which is just my name, bobbyrebell.com, B-O-B-B-I-R-E-B-E-L-L.com. Please also, I just got on TikTok. I'm still very confused about what to do. So please follow me on TikTok and give me pointers. Give me some suggestions, some feedback, write something in the comments. Please keep it kind. I'm old <laughs> to be on TikTok. So be kind, keep it constructive, constructive <laughs> comments, but please follow me and watch my videos and give me help. And I'm on all the other socials on Instagram. It's Bobby Rebel with the number one on it. And everywhere else, it's just Bobby Rebel. Also subscribe to my newsletter and also buy Grown Up Gear, which is super fun, adulting themed merchandise. Wonderful. We'll be sure to put links to all of that in the show notes for everybody. I really appreciate you being here, Bobby. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. I thought so too. 
Money Tips for Financial Grownups is a production of BRK Media, LLC. Editing and production by Steve Stewart. Guest coordination, content creation, social media support, and show notes by Ashley Wall. You can find the podcast show notes, which include links to resources mentioned in the show, as well as show transcripts, by going to my website, bobbyrebell.com. You can also find an incredible library of hundreds of previous episodes to help you on your journey as a financial grown-up. The podcast and tons of complimentary resources associated with the podcast is brought to you for free, but I need to have your support in return. Here's how you can do that. First, connect with me on social media at bobbyrebell1 on Instagram and bobbyrebell on both Twitter and on Clubhouse, where you can join my Money Tips for Grownups Club. Second, share this podcast on social media and tag me so I can thank you. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Reading each one means the world to me. And you know what? It really motivates others to subscribe. You can also support our merch shop, grownupgear.com, by picking up fun gifts for your grown-up friends and treating yourself as well. And most of all, Help your friends on their journey to being financial grownups by encouraging them to subscribe to the podcast. Together, we got this. Thank you for your time and for the kind words so many of you send my way. See you next time. And thank you for supporting Money Tips for Financial Grownups.